Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of the Fortress of Rock. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane, glad to have you aboard as always. Episode 37, April the 29th, 2022. As always, we start off with news of the world. In tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen. All the headlines. Everything you need to know about current upcoming tours, album releases, rock stars being nasty, angry, stupid, we've got it all for you. So let's begin with disheartening news. I hate to start off on a down note, but for me personally, one of my favorite bands is Rat. And it looks like Rat is done. Stephen Piercy, of course, lead singer. One of the original members of the classic lineup of Rat was recently on Eddie Trunk. And said that there was a massive offer on the table to get the original surviving members of Rat back together again. That would be Juan Crochet on bass. Of course, Piercy lead vocals. Warren Martini lead guitar. And Bobby Blotzer on drums. Piercy says it was pretty much met with apathy. People didn't reach out. People didn't call each other. Didn't try to set up any types of meetings or anything like that. So in Piercy's mind, Rad is done. He's looking at it like, hey, if we get offered millions upon millions upon millions of dollars and we still can't make this work, then what's the point? He points out the fact that fans aren't very happy with these fractured patchwork lineups, and I'm one of them. I'm not the biggest fan. the last incarnation of rat that was supposed to go out on tour when COVID hit, we had tickets to see them only featured Stephen Piercy and Juan Crochet. And then everything else was just guys. They, they pulled in on drums and guitar just to fill out the lineup. So, Piercy basically says, Rat is done. Maybe we'll get some archival songs, things from the vaults. But otherwise, just too much animosity. It's too difficult, too hard to get this band back together. These four guys, the surviving members. So, Unfortunately, the death knell may actually have told for one of the greatest hair metal bands of the 80s, Rat. The B-52s are going out on a farewell tour. Am I a big fan of the B-52s? No, not really. But, but you have to acknowledge the fact that Love Shack 
far and away has to be one of the greatest party songs of all time. It doesn't matter what type of music you like. If you're into metal, classic rock, rap, hip-hop, country, I don't care. When somebody puts on Love Shack, you get up, you dance. So I won't miss the B-52s, but Love Shack, fantastic, fantastic, good time party song. The Who, Paul McCartney, Nine Inch Nails have all started their tours here leading into the summer. We talked about the ridiculously weird, awesome Van Halen rumors last week. Where Jason Newstead basically broke some kind of rock and roll code where he mentioned something to a person interviewing him about a topic completely away from anything musically. He was talking about a foundation that he works with to help kids trying to get themselves into artistic major studies. And then somehow this whole Van Halen thing kind of leaked. So then, of course, Satriani came out, Joe Satriani and David Lee Roth, confirming, yeah, we talked about it, we talked about it. Maybe it's not dead, but it's not looking good. Now, Jason Newstead has come out mad about the Van Halen quote being pulled out of this interview and thrown out there on social media for all to see. Now he says, I might quit interviews forever. Yet somehow, right after that, he does an interview where he talks about Basically why he was, I won't say forced out of Metallica, but he says solo projects, side projects weren't allowed in Metallica. And he wanted to explore some different musical boundaries. And he says the guys in Metallica told him that's not how we work. So that's what eventually led to him leaving the band. So, how about this? Just if you don't want to talk about something or you don't want it to get out in the public, don't don't mention it. Keep it to yourself. Put it in the vault. Lock the vault. Throw the key away. I don't understand why anybody, let alone a celebrity, would expect to say something as monumental as a potential Van Halen tribute tour involving him, Joe Satriani, and Alex Van Halen, and then David Lee Roth, and have the reporter slash interviewer say, oh, okay, that's fine. Well, we don't, we're not talking about that. We're talking about this 
foundation, this work you're doing for these kids to, to get them into the creative arts. That's not how things work. Please don't be so naive. I'm trying to figure out if Dolly Parton is pulling the wool over our eyes. If she hasn't pulled off one of the most ridiculously brilliant PR scams of all time. We've talked about Dolly Parton. I personally have said, along with many other acts, probably about half of the ones that are on the current final ballot for induction into this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class, that either you change the name or you're hypocrites. Dolly Parton seemed to be going along with that line of thinking when she came out about a month, month and a half ago and said, I really don't think I should be considered, so please withdraw my name from the ballots. And again, we're rehashing, going over old territory here. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the idiots that they are, Sykes and Wenner and those morons say, no, 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 we're going to keep your name on the ballot. So you wonder if the whole, oh, I'm so humble. What is it, what is it called now? A humble brag? Maybe that's what Dolly Parton was doing, a humble brag. Where she goes, oh, no, no, I'm not worthy. I'm not rock and roll, so please, please don't consider me. And then today, the last day, ironically, of fan voting for their point 0.1% influence, 0.01%, I'm sorry, 0.1 gives the fan ballot too much credit. I think it's, maybe it's 0.1. My math is shaky, but anyway, a really insignificant amount. How about that for the fan ballot? Dolly Parton is going to slide in today as voting closes here in a few hours for that that 1.1%, the, the fan ballot. She comes out and says, oh, well, I will accept an induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if I get voted in. Sneaky, sneaky. Sneaky Dolly. I'm thinking she played us all. She was trying to garner sympathy again. Trying to make herself look humble. And by doing that, bringing more people in, almost a sympathy vote, to put her into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If she gets in, sorry, I'm telling you right now, that's it. I'm done.
I'm pretty much already done with them anyway. But if you people on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame board of directors are so stupid to be played like this, you've watered down the Rock Hall of Fame. There are plenty of performers, bands out there you won't put in and plenty you've put in that don't deserve it. And now if Dolly Parton, and I'm not, I am not criticizing Dolly Parton. This is shrewd. This is master manipulation, what she's doing. She's a PR genius. She always has been. She's likable. Bubbly, great personality. How could you not like Dolly Parton? This is genius on her part if this was her end game. Like I said, one day left, maybe six to eight hours left in voting as I am taping this podcast. And they're showing she's in fifth place and it would be a miracle upon miracles for Judas Priest in sixth to catch her. Now, of course, to me, that's a travesty. You know how I feel. Judas Priest should be in the Rock Hall of Fame. If they're not in the top five on this fan ballot, then the fans don't know what they're doing. I should be happy. Duran Duran and Pat Benatar at least were in the top five. And Duran Duran ended up obliterating everybody else. They're going to end up raking in almost, I believe, a million votes when it's all said and done. Probably about 300, 250 to 300,000 more than second place Eminem, who had the early lead. In the end, does it matter? No. Because they're both going to be on this fan ballot that really, in the end, does not matter. All right, we talked last week about Triumph's documentary, Rock and Roll Machine. This week, news has come out of a documentary in the works with Jeff Bridges, the legendary actor, doing the narration. Traveling bands, CCR, Credence Clearwater Revival, live at the Royal Albert Hall. CCR might be the most underrated American band of all time. People talk about Van Halen, people talk about Aerosmith, people talk about Nirvana, Pearl Jam. But they really never understand Credence Clearwater Revival. If you look at their run of hits, if you look at records sold back in their heyday in the early 70s, CCR was a massive, hugely popular band. And supposedly this footage 
of them live at the Royal Albert Hall. They're going to incorporate the entire concert into this documentary. They are going to talk about the beginnings of the band. So in that sense, it's a true documentary, but you're going to get a full concert wedged in there from CCR at the Royal Albert Hall. Interested to see that when I hit streaming, wherever that might be. I can't remember if we've talked about the official release date for the next Journey album, but Journey released the second single off their upcoming album, Freedom. Ironically, Freedom will be out the week of July 4th. It'll be out July the 8th. Once we get to wrap it up at the end, we'll talk about the second single, what to expect, and when I'm going to review it. And then Wilco, a band that's really hard to get people to listen to. I don't know if I can say it better than that. I have, over the years, learned to enjoy Wilco. They're an acquired taste. How about we put it that way? Classic album, of course, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot which was released within weeks of the attacks on the Twin Towers in New York, 9-11, 2001. The connection that album has, the spooky, weird connection that album has to that event, the cover of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, of course, has Twin Towers. Not the Twin Towers, but Twin Towers. Some of the lyrics, including a song like Ashes of American Flags, just, it is creepy. And that album was already done, pressed, burned, everything was ready to go. It was just prescient. It was just amazing how Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in some musical way saw what was coming. And then once you listen to it, it is quirky, it is odd, it is a a little bit R.E.M. A little bit country because, of course, that's where Wilco's roots kind of, sort of are, are in country. Definitely some rock in there, too, though. It's, it's a great mixture of Americana in terms of music. So now Wilco is coming out with a double album, Cruel Country is the title, coming out on May the 27th, 2022. Just like I mentioned with Journey, we'll talk about 
the latest release off of Cruel Country when we get to the end. Talk about when we're going to review it. So that's it for News of the World here on the Fortress, April the 29th. Still hoping the weather gets better here where I am. Hope you've got some nice 60s, 70s, maybe even 80s. We had one day in the 80s a week ago. And now everything is plummeted, dropped in terms of temperature. We had freeze warnings. Again, I know I say this every week, but Jesus, why do I live here? There is no spring. It goes straight from winter to summer. But that's not rock and roll. So let's take a quick break. We'll be back with some reviews in segment two. Unfortunately, most of them are bad. It's going to happen from time to time, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I will explain. Hang on. I'll be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Fortress of Rock podcast with me, the maestro, Kevin Crane, of course. That was segment one, the news of the world, our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen, where we look back at the past week in rock and roll and all the news and all the controversies that you deserve to know about. Next up is the heart of the show, the meat and potatoes breakdown, where we are going to review all the new songs, all the new albums all the new concert tours, the shows that I've seen personally. Stay tuned for that. Of course, we're now available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Hang out, kids. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It is time to resume episode 37 of the fortress of rock with the maestro kevin crane happy to have you aboard here friday night leading you into the weekend wish i had more stuff more good stuff for you to listen to but here in breakdown our second segment as always tribute to tom petty and the heartbreakers I mentioned I was not overly enthusiastic about reviewing this secret, no pun intended, album that popped a couple weeks ago out of nowhere featuring Kim Thale of Soundgarden, Chris Novoselic, formerly of Nirvana, and Matt Cameron of Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, the grunge supergroup Third Secret, in their self-titled debut album. I'd listened to a little bit of it when it hit. I was very, very excited. 
again, as I've always said, grunge was the last to me great era of rock and roll. The last 20 plus years have been garbage for the most part. So when I heard Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, kind of like a Temple of the Dog thing, maybe. Expectations were high. Friend of mine convinced me we should we should go ahead and review it. Give it a shot. On the mothership. Our main podcast, Sports Frenzy 2.0. If you haven't checked that out, especially the weekend edition, you guys would love that, where we talk about pop culture each and every Saturday morning. So we do delve a little bit into the music. I go a little bit more in depth, but that being said, my buddy Dave talked me into reviewing third secret we needed something we're in a little bit of a lull here for the next couple weeks until some new stuff comes through like wilco like def leopard so third secret 11 songs Again, they did a great job of keeping this under wraps because I don't know anybody that knew this was coming out until it dropped. Did not drop on a Friday, which is now the new normal. It dropped on a Monday. The problem ends up being the fact that the lead singer is wrong, all wrong. It's a woman. Don't. Take that the wrong way. Plenty of fantastic female singers out there, but the droning, almost monotone vocal stylings on Third Secret are awful. Awful. Let's go through track by track. I'm obliged to do this as much as it will pain me. First song, Rhythm of the Ride, is where you get the first taste of these droning vocals I'm talking about. I have listened to this song at least half a dozen times. And while I don't like it, there's a minimally earworm, catchy aspect to it. The chorus does kind of, sort of resonate and get stuck in your head. But it almost makes you angry. Like a gnat or a mosquito in a July July concert or an August picnic when you're outside having a good time. And you've got that bug buzzing around your ear you know it's gonna bite make your life miserable for the next day or two itching and scratching that's the best i can say the best compliment i can give 
to Rhythm of the Ride, the first track on Third Secret. And then the second song, I Choose Me, which is the first official release, first single, if you will. A little bit better. This is the kind of song I could have heard Chris Cornell singing. Maybe as a B-side or an outtake from the Super Unknown sessions or the Bad Motor Finger sessions. It's got that sludgy sound garden feel to it, what they had on some of their deeper tracks early on. Does that make it great? Not really. And then it just goes right downhill after that. Last day of August. No good. Winter Solstice sounds like they're trying to do old folky Led Zeppelin stuff. Lies fade away. Live without you. Nothing distinctive. That's the worst part of this. Most of this album is just boring, non-distinctive crap. And then you get to the right stuff where they bring in, I don't know if it's an accordion or a glockenspiel, but it's got this carnival vibe to it in terms of music, carnival-esque music. This is another example of when you want to tell artists, whether it's music, movies, television, when they are just sitting there and you know they're going, I know this is great. I made it. It's awesome. Let's put it out there. Somebody's ego for this song, Bright Stuff, needed to be put in check because this is garbage. It's awful. It's terrible. The next song, Dead Sea, another nondescript nothing of a song. Diamond in the Cold reminds me a little bit more of I Choose Me with a slight Soundgarden, old school Soundgarden song to it, tone to it, feel to it. Then we get to Somewhere in Time. Finally, finally, a song I liked. A little more expressive in the vocals, a little looser in terms of how the band plays. This was my one and only favorite song on the album. The only redeeming quality. Then the final track, The Yellow Dress, is just a meandering, again, piece of garbage. This is an awful album. I'm sorry. It is an awful, awful album. I wouldn't recommend this to my worst enemy. And in fact, it could go down as my least favorite album of the year. It's embarrassing. 
It's a shame. What these guys, these juggernauts of the grunge era have come to with this kind of slop. Stay away from Third Secret, please. Also reviewing Kirk Hammett's Record Store Day EP Portals. Four songs, four instrumentals. The album runs roughly 26, 27 minutes. We've discussed a lot, a lot of guitarists have put out albums heavy on instrumentals recently. Tom Morello, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, and now Kirk Hammett. I can't can't really do this justice with a track-by-track review. Let's just say the four songs on here are Maiden and the Monster, The Djinn, High Plains Drifter, and The Incantation. Supposedly, Hammett was inspired by horror films. Um, Obviously, if you know anything about westerns, High Plains Drifter evokes the old school spaghetti western feel of Clint Eastwood, Sergio Leone. But there's a lot of bells and whistles here, a lot of orchestration, a lot of strings. Flamenco guitar, he's acknowledged that in High Plains Drifter. The thing is, None of this, these four songs just reaches out and grabs you. I don't even know if it's really good as background music. I think I like the stuff that we've talked about earlier this year, again, from Morello, Satriani, Vi. That stuff at least seemed to have a little bit of energy, a little bit of personality. To me, this four-song EP from Kirk Hammett just seems dull. And it's ironic that he is allowed, quote-unquote, allowed to do a solo project after what we talked about in the last segment where Jason Newstead was told specifically his words, that he wasn't allowed to do side projects when he was in Metallica. I would listen to Portals again before I would listen to Third Secret, but honestly, I'll probably listen to neither ever again. Now, a song that I have been listening to a lot on repeat over and over again is the second 
single off of Def Leppard's upcoming album, Diamond Star Halos. Take what you want. There is a lot to love about this song. Whereas Kick is a little bit more polished, a little bit more of an obvious attempt to to write and record a catchy first single. Take What You Want is a little bit rougher, a little bit more old school Def Leppard, hearkening back in many ways to High and Dry and Pyromania. It's not quite so overproduced like Hysteria in the later albums, Adrenalize. I really like Take What You Want. Kick is starting to grow on me, but Take What You Want gives me hope that Diamond Star Halos could be a return to old school form for Def Leppard. So check that out, kids. That is the one one song, <laughs> the one musical creation here this week on the Fortress of Rock that I will recommend. All right, time to take our second break. Coming up, I want to go back. Anniversaries, birthdays, classic album releases in rock history. Hang on, stay tuned. I'll be right back. All right, now that we've looked at the current state of music in our breakdown segment, it is time to climb into the DeLorean and travel back in time to look back at moments in rock and roll history, birthdays, deaths, anniversaries of song and album releases. It is time for I Want to Go Back our tribute to Eddie Money. Stay tuned. And as always, we're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, everybody. We're heading into the weekend here. As always, Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro. Kevin Crane, Friday night, April the 29th, 2022. I hope you have a great and glorious rock and roll weekend. Segment three, I want to go back. Our tribute to Eddie Money, the late, great Eddie Money. Our look at classic album releases, anniversaries, birthdays, deaths, moments in rock history. Of course, this is the point in time every week in the podcast where I acknowledge my sources for a lot of these ideas, for our stories and reviews. UltimateClassicRock.com, Van Halen News Desk, ThisDayInMusic.com. As always, I will say, 
great sources for information, great ideas that I get from them, but the embellishments and the opinions are mine and mine alone. We've been trying over the last few months to expand the reach of the Fortress of Rock, so you should be able to find us at Spotify, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Breaker, CastBox, Stitcher, and maybe possibly even Apple and Overcast, although they make it really hard to get yourself set up on their platform. But I digress. Couple of birthdays to discuss. First off, Willie Nelson, born on April the 29th. Some dispute it, some say it was April the 30th, but for our purposes, we'll go with today. 89 years old. I guess it'd be pretty obvious for me to just say, hey, Happy birthday, Willie. Smoke a bowl. Willie Nelson does nothing for me. I'm sorry. I know he is considered a pop culture icon. He's one of those old school country acts. Had a hit or two when I was younger. We talked about Dolly Parton earlier. Dolly Parton and Willie Nelson, to me, are lumped in the same class, along with people like Waylon Jennings, Glenn Campbell, the Oak Ridge Boys, that old school group of country acts who crossed over in the 70s and the early 80s. And now, of course, the crossover country movement has exploded But I have to give credit to the aforementioned acts, including Willie Nelson. They were the ones that laid the foundation for this. Now, that being said, again, I'm not a Willie Nelson proponent. I'm not a fan. If you take On the Road Again, Off the Table, what has he really done? Always on my mind. Okay, fine. Proponent of legalizing marijuana. Great. Good for you, Willie. Like I said, go smoke a bowl and leave the rest of us alone. Now, the one thing, the one thing I will give him 100% total, absolute, positive credit for, along with John Mellencamp and Neil Young, and now later on Dave Matthews, is getting Farm Aid up and running. A tremendous idea, a tremendous charity effort that still survives to this day. American farmers need our help. I kind of wish they did this as a tour. 
instead of just doing one show a year. I could say that about a lot of these festivals. It would be kind of neat to just do five or six Lollapalooza shows, Farm Aid shows, where everybody within a three or four hour driving distance could go see one of these shows. But that being said, Farm Aid does hold a special value, special purpose to me, especially here in the Midwest. Again, we have got to do everything we can to help the farmers of America. And as pretentious as they can be, Willie Nelson, John Mellencamp, Neil Young, and Dave Matthews have done a great job of trying to help the American farmer. So for that and that alone, I respect Willie Nelson. Otherwise, I could care less. Well, the way things are going, though, it'll probably be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in two or three years. But happy 89th birthday to our favorite rock and roll pothead, Willie Nelson. Somebody who doesn't get nearly enough credit for their influence on the history of rock and roll is Tommy James. Tommy James, 75 years old on April the 29th. Of course, most notably with his band, The Shondells, they got together, Tommy James and The Shondells, just, believe it or not, a few miles away from where I have grown up and where I have lived most of my life. They were formed in Niles, Michigan, just over the border from Indiana. Solo, Tommy James had one great, great underrated song, Dragging the Line. Now, I haven't heard it in a long time, but I... I remember it, I know how it goes, and I love that song. But with the Shondells, you could argue that Tommy James and the Shondells wrote songs that define careers for artists in the 80s, in the 90s when they redid them when they did remakes of their songs three examples that i know you know crimson and clover of course joan jett 
huge hit for her and the Blackhearts in the 80s. Moni Moni, Billy Idol, again. Do you remember, does anybody out there remember that Tommy James and the Shondells did the original versions, or do you just remember the Joan Jett, Billy Idol versions? And then, of course, Tiffany, the mall pop rat, doing a remake of, again, Tommy James and the Shondells, I Think We're Alone Now. We're talking three career-defining songs, covers, for Joan Jett, Tiffany, Billy Idol. All were hits first for Tommy James and his band. All right, a couple anniversaries to discuss. Mentioned. John Mellencamp, with our reference to Farm Aid. Interesting story on Ultimate Classic Rock this week. Got me into doing a little bit of research on Mick Ronson, who unfortunately died on this day in 1993. Mick Ronson is another guy like Tommy James. Doesn't seem to get enough credit for the influence he has had on rock and roll history. He has worked with David Bowie. He has worked with Lou Reed. He has worked with Ian Hunter. And then circling back around to John Mellencamp, he helped to form the song that would become arguably John Cougar Mellencamp's biggest hit. Yes, I still like to tweak him because I know he's an arrogant jackass now. John Cougar Mellencamp's greatest hit, Jack and Diane, which I still think is one of the greatest songs written about growing up, especially growing up in the heartland. And of course, Mr. Bitter, John Mellencamp won't perform it anymore. I don't like it. He won't acknowledge the songs for the most part that made him the star he is. I just can't stand that arrogance. We talked about it last week with John Bon Jovi. Never thought I'd get this out of John Bon Jovi, but... Ignoring the songs that made you who you are as a performer is just plain out ridiculous, stupid behavior. Tweak them, change them. Don't have to play them on every tour, but to out and out dismiss them like John Mellencamp has done with Jack and Diane is just another example of West Coast egomaniacal stupidity gone awry. Kudos to Mick Ronson 
for helping craft that phenomenal song. If John Mellencamp won't acknowledge it as the touchstone that it is, that it was, I will. And I'll acknowledge it for Mick Ronson. If John Cougar Mellencamp doesn't want to be involved, that's fine. Then finally, April the 29th, the anniversary of Ronnie James Dio starting his first tour with Black Sabbath. Now here's what's interesting about this. So let's discuss Black Sabbath here for the rest of I Want to Go Back. I'll admit I am not a Black Sabbath fan. I find them overrated. Iron Man is wearing on me. The more and more I hear it, it wears on me. It just, I don't know, outside of the big, massive, sludgy riff from Tony Iommi, I'd still rather listen to Ozzy's solo stuff. I'd rather listen to anything off of Blizzard of Oz before I'd rather I'd listen to Iron Man or War Pigs. I'm just not a Black Sabbath guy. That being said, I am more... How do I couch this? I am more of a Ronnie James Dio guy in Sabbath than I am an Ozzy guy, and that's probably blasphemy. Be like somebody coming up to me and saying, you realize Sammy Hagar was 10 times better as a front man for Van Halen than David Lee Roth. So, I understand the tension, the vitriol, for me saying that blasphemy. But Ronnie James Dio had such an amazing voice and the little bit of Sabbath that I heard with Ronnie James Dio fronting them was fantastic. Now, again, just like I said with Ozzy solo stuff, I'd rather listen to Ozzy solo than Black Sabbath. I would also rather listen to Dio than Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio fronting. But I've always said one of the greatest, if not the greatest, movie soundtrack of all time is the soundtrack to Heavy Metal. Now, of course, this also appeared on the album of the same name, but the song The Mob Rules was my first exposure to Ronnie James Dio singing for uh, for Black Sabbath. And it just had such a great energy, a great drive to it. Such an awesome song. The anger, the energy. I would, let's put it this way. I would rather listen to that song, The Mob Rules, 
than listen to, again, blasphemy, Iron Man. Paranoid, even, even paranoid. Just, I don't think it's as great of a song as people make it out to be. And that's how I feel about a lot of the Ozzy era Black Sabbath. I'll take Ronnie James Dio. Rest in peace. So that's it for I Want to Go Back. Got to close the book on the latest episode of The Fortress of Rock. The final segment, fourth and final, coming up here. We're going to talk about what we're going to review in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Well, we hope you enjoyed our trip back in time, looking back at the anniversaries, the classic moments in rock and roll history. But of course, the DeLorean works both ways. So now we have to move forward. The last segment here, as always, on the Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro Kevin Crane, Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's all about the future. What's coming out here in the next month or two? What songs, what albums, what concert tours? That's why we call it Wrap It Up. Thanks to the fabulous Thunderbirds. Thanks to you for hanging out. Here comes our final segment. Hey, everybody. Time to wrap it up here on the Fortress of Rock, episode 37, April the 29th, 2022. Going to give you a preview of what to expect in our reviews in the coming weeks. We mentioned Wilco announced their double album coming out May the 27th, Cruel Country. They've released the first single, Falling Apart, right now. So we'll have that for you here on The Fortress within the next week or two. We also mentioned Journey's Freedom. Second release off of that, You Got the Best of Me. That'll be on the slate for next week. Interesting sound to it. I'm going to have to do some research on this one, a deep dive, because it sounds live. It's really got a raw feel to it. Now, I'm not saying that's good. It's the opposite of a lot of songs that we hear nowadays. It's not overproduced. Again, I want to see if this could possibly be a live recording they're sneaking in here on their new album, Freedom. Second release from the upcoming new Black Keys album. song is called It Ain't Over. We'll review that here within the next couple weeks on The Fortress. And then 
so bizarre. We just talked about Def Leppard's great new song, Take What You Want. In just a few hours before I started taping this episode, The Fix have released their fourth single off of their upcoming album. And guess what it's called? (laughs) Take What You Want. So... The 80s bands Def Leppard and The Fix somehow have this kind of weird, bizarre 2022 connection where they both have songs on their brand new, long-awaited albums called Take What You Want. (laughs) So that will be a review for us, The Fix, here in the next few weeks. As far as albums go, we will be reviewing next week here on the Fortress of Rock. Ann Wilson, lead singer of Heart, out on her own. Her third solo album is Fierce Bliss. That will be our featured album review for next week. Of course, things are going back and forth. We hear that there is no animosity between her And her sister Nancy and Hart is still alive and well, even though Nancy's going out with her own version of Hart. So you guys tell me how that works. That doesn't sound like sisterly love and harmony to me. I hope Hart is not over. We'll see. Then finally, a couple weeks down the road for the Fortress, we will go back in time. I'm not a big fan of reviewing live albums, compilations. I prefer brand new music. But I'm going to make an exception in this case because... One of my favorite bands from the 70s. The estate of Doug Fieger, the surviving members of the Knack are trying to keep that legacy, that underrated, vastly underrated legacy alive. Coming out a week from today, the Knack live at the House of Blues recorded September the 25th, 2001. Now, we talked about the impact the very, very creepy symbolism visually and lyrically of Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in relation to the September 11th attacks. It will be interesting to hear if they, if they decide to include it on this knack live at the house of blues album. 
considering we're talking two weeks after the 9-11 Twin Towers attacks. If they reference it, if there's some kind of an emotional kick resonance to the performance. And I know nobody's, the casual fan is not going to ever accuse the knack of having a well of depth when it comes to social observance. You know, this is the band that that sang good girls don't, but I do. I get it. I still give them more credit. I still give them a lot more historical significance when it comes to music than anybody else does with a few exceptions. There are a few people out there who I know feel the same way that I do about the knack. The knack were dismissed as Beatles wannabes because of the parody cover of their massive hit debut album, Get the Knack. If you listen to the music on Get the Knack, there is no way, to me, you can make any kind of comparison with the Beatles outside of maybe the barest, most basic pop rock hooks. Not like cribbing the Beatles songs, but just the feel on a few of the tunes. Maybe possibly kind of had that early Beatles feel to it. But again, the Knack were brilliant in how they winked at the Beatles and at the same time gave us a picture into what was coming in the early 80s. They are the one band that connects the Beatles and the mid-60s pop rock sound to the hair metal sound of the 80s, especially lyrically. They basically took the innocent sound of the early Beatles and then twisted it and put it through a grinder and then made it a little bit harder rocking and brought in the misogynistic lyrics of bands like Poison and Motley Crue. The Knack never, ever, ever get enough credit for being the trailblazers that they were. And if you have never listened to any songs by the Knack outside of my Sharona, do yourself a favor, get on Spotify, run through chronologically the Knack's catalog. Watch how they tried to evolve. Watch how they tried to make themselves different, make themselves better. 
like a chameleon, changing with the times. But they did it to me. I'm biased. I love them. They did it to me more successfully than bands like U2. I know I keep going back to U2, it seems like almost every week, in just how much of an epic failure Pop and Zuropa were. And to me, the knack tried to push the boundaries, especially with the album Round Trip. which I think is brilliant beyond belief. They succeeded where a band like U2 failed. You be the judge, get on Spotify, listen to Zoom, listen to Normal Like the Next Guy, But the little girls understand. The Knack is an overlooked American rock and roll treasure. And I will break protocol and review live at the House of Blues. September the 25th, 2001 here. Coming up in two weeks on The Fortress. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend, spend time with your family, kind of a dull weekend at the movie theaters in anticipation next weekend of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, sports fans, of course, like me, watching the NFL draft. Unfortunately, I'm a Bears fan, so I know for mo- for the most part, this draft is going to end up being a disaster because pretty much every year, every draft for the Bears is a disaster. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whoever you're with, listen to some good tunes, listen to some rock and roll, enjoy yourself, love the one you're with. I'm the Maestro on the Fortress of Rock. We'll check you out next week.